I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening. There was no internet, no mobile phones, no social media. So literally, unless it was, I don't know, you knew somebody or you had a direct dial number, you had to write a letter. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. For a lot of men, and myself included, daydreaming can be a form of relaxation. An out-of-body experience that helps us imagine alternate realities that don't have the stresses of day-to-day life. Jonathan was studying at university in Glasgow when he decided that he was actually going to act upon one of his biggest dreams. Another boring, I can't remember what day of the week it was, in a lecture theatre, it was one of those old-style ones like you see in the movies. You've got this chemistry teacher who's writing on a blackboard with chalk, and I was right at the back of a theatre that could probably seat a few hundred, just not paying attention. And I got my folder out of my bag, and inside it I'd slipped a copy of Enemy, which is this music newspaper, because I thought if there's nothing happening on the blackboard, I can thumb through some music reviews. I was going through the newspaper looking to see who was coming to the UK, who was going to play, because at the time, a lot of the bands that I was into came from the US. And then I noticed, A, Alice in Chains. And even better, coming to Scotland, Glasgow Barrowlands. And when Alice in Chains comes to the UK, they will also be replacing their bass player. And for that moment, I thought, you know what? How cool would it be to be in a band playing bass and just rocking out all the time? So that was the moment when I thought, they need me. I should be the bass player. It makes perfect sense. I knew almost all of their tracks. Why wouldn't they want me to play bass for them? What I ended up doing was just turning a page in my notes book and I started writing a letter to Alison Chains. Like, dear Alison Chains, I noticed that you're coming to Glasgow and your bass player is leaving and I would like to be considered for the job. It was kind of a bit sad. <laughs> like writing a job application letter to a, to a grunge band. I have to remind you that it's in the early 90s. There was no internet, no mobile phones, no social media. So literally, unless it was, I don't know, you knew somebody, or you had a direct dial number, you had to write a letter. But anyway, I put in there uh, why they should pick me, what I could play, and I had a passport photograph in my wallet because I had one left over from when we enrolled at uni. I just attached it to this letter, put it in an envelope and posted it to the venue, Glasgow Barrowlands. Bought my coach ticket and then waited for the gig. You know, we we were hot and sweaty and we're waiting for the band to come on and they had this big curtain that they put up in front of the stage and the lights went off and then literally like, the lights go on, they drop the curtain and then the band appears, you know, Leitinger coming on first, guitarist, drummer, oh, and a new bass player. Then they started walking to the front. Uh, Rather than just pick up the guitars, they walked to the front and started looking around the crowd and everyone's thinking like, what are they looking for? And I was like, kind of mouthing, it's me, 
And then he waved and then he kind of nudged the other band members like, it's him, he's there. And then they all waved. People started looking at me like, okay, why are you guys smiling? Are you a celebrity? Are you, what are you? All I thought was, yes. It was like scoring a goal. Or maybe it was like, I don't know, winning a penalty. It was like, yes, I deserve this. That's how I felt. And, uh, and then it's, well, what happens next? Everything else just went out of my head. It was just like, yeah, this is freaking cool. I didn't get an audition, but I did get a wave. Who is this kid from Manchester to be asking to be part of Alice in Chains, a huge band? I mean, I looked on Spotify beforehand and they've got 100 million, 200 million, 300 million hits for every single song that they do. This, what, 19, 20-year-old from Manchester, black kid from Moss Side, council estate, an infamous council estate in Manchester, I know it quite well, and you're in Scotland, but you decide, you know what, I'm going to go for this. There's a side of my brain that just doesn't have boundaries. Like, I, I just think, I wonder if I could do this, or let me try this. And then there's this other side which says, you can't. And I think that other side of my brain is also very sensitive to external pressures because the you can't is, I'd say, is almost based in some kind of rational arguments that people try to put forward, whether that's your teachers, your classmates, your work colleagues. And you're constantly told, I realise on a daily basis, people tell you, don't do this. But I like to keep this other side of my brain that thinks, imagine if I could. And that's probably the side of my brain that spent too much time listening to music, watching too many TV shows, reading too many comics, where you see all of these characters in this other world that just, they don't have those boundaries. They might have those doubts, but they seem to overcome them. That's why they're superheroes, or that's why they're rock stars, or that's why they win Olympic medals and score goals. We do create these boundaries for ourselves, and they're not necessarily helpful, are they? No, they're not. I mean, some boundaries are helpful. Otherwise, you know, you'd ruin yourself. But I think it's always worth questioning and testing whether those boundaries should be applicable to you and whether they're even still relevant. Because some boundaries that you have, like, let me give you an example. Like, as I've got older, I've learned to trust my gut instincts a lot more. And I think that that's okay. When you're younger, you know, some of the questions you might want to ask yourself are like, how do you know? According to who? Have you got enough experience? You know, and um, sometimes following your gut when you're young is, is just uh, a disaster. But I think at a certain stage, if you've done enough air miles, you've read enough books, you've met enough people, you've held down a job, you've paid enough bills and taxes, you should treat yourself and allow yourself to follow your gut because it's drawing from something which is basically valuable experience. That means, therefore, that, that there are some boundaries that you should just ignore and there are some rules that you should definitely break. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. A lot of it is based on the unreasonable man. There's a quote there somewhere that change is only done through the thinking and the actions of an unreasonable man. Because if you're just reasonable with everything, then the world stays the same. Look, I want to be excited. And part of being excited is about being surprised. I don't ever like surprises. But I like being excited, so I'm willing to entertain being surprised. I don't know, think of all those moments, like things that are like bad anxiety. Like, I'm not the sort of dude that sits in an exam or waits for their exam results and is excited about that. No, I, I hate it. 
And of course you have sleepless nights and you have all those doubts, like what if I fail? But but other things, like, you know, going on, going traveling to another country or doing a show, like, you know, being in bands. I actually did get to play in bands and playing in front of loads of people. Or even, you know, even asking somebody out on a first date. Like, that little buzz is quite cool. And I think a lot of that excitement is what keeps us alive. When the excitement starts to decrease, that's when you notice that your life is going stagnant. I've felt that before in my life as well. The challenge becomes, like, how do you maintain that buzz? And that takes a bit of soul-searching and thinking and kind of like rehearsal or scaffolding because, like, now that the tables are turned and I give lectures, I have to get, I know that I have to get hyped up going into a lecture because if I'm hyped they're more likely to be hyped because on the other side it's like you know I've, I've taught thousands of people so it'd be easy just to go oh this is lecture number 263 you know <laughs> that I don't really want to teach that's like you know it doesn't mean anything I'm already getting paid uh but but that would be a betrayal of kind of my professionalism so like assuming that you're not going to rely upon stimulants to get you hyped but you're naturally going to get hyped, then you have to go deeper into just tapping into those memories of, of moments when you were really happy or what really makes you kick. Definitely, it's not about the destination, it's the journey that goes on there. I'm wondering, when you're stepping onto the stage in this lecture hall and you're teaching hundreds of students at a time, do you almost feel like you're playing a concert? Yeah, sounds sad, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, whether it's to, you know, lectures 15 students or it could be to 100 or it could be to 350. And I think at some conferences I've spoken at to professionals, it's been 5,000. Um, and as a musician, the most I'd perform to is between about 50 and 75,000. Um, it might sound strange to people, but... I actually get a kick out of all of them. Even the 15 student ones? Yes. Yeah. Because you get direct feedback. You know, the thing is that, like, if it's 50,000 people, that is a massive rush. You know, to hear, like, a crowd roar is ridiculous. It's one of the best buzzes you can get. Uh, but there's so many people, and the barrier is a lot further away, um, you don't get a personal connection. So I, I realise that a lot of that is just kind of like, it's just they're getting uh, a buzz off the moment and probably any band would impress them as well. I mean, yeah, okay, there is, you, you, they cheer or you do certain things. You can see a call and response thing. But I remember like one time, like, you know, you do the performance and then you get off stage and a lot of those people don't recognise you afterwards. They recognise you on stage with a guitar and the light shining on you, but you could be wearing the same t-shirt, same afro, whatever it is, and walk through a crowd. And that might seem strange to people, but I go back to that point of like, you know, remember like that show I did was in Serbia. There were pretty much only white people in the crowd, probably almost exclusively white people in the crowd. So when I would walk through a crowd, it, it would be noticeable or, or the other band members. But a lot of people would notice you. Whereas if you like teach 15 people and they smile or like, you know, the call and response is directly related to what you're saying. And 
it's amazing. Like, you know, I had one one student write to me and it was funny because we were having this debate and he didn't agree. And it was um, it was actually to do with like racism and what was offensive and stuff like that. And it was maybe 15 years later, the dude found me on LinkedIn and sent a message and it was after Black Lives Matter. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about that class that I had with you. And uh, I think you were right. And I'm sorry if I, if I said anything offensive. And I was like, man, you didn't say anything offensive. I just thought it was cool that you were having this debate. But that was a special moment to me because it's like, you know, that someone can remember a conversation that you had 15 years ago and, and, and the penny drops 15 years later, right? And thankfully, you know, I, I remained living long enough to be able to find out that that penny dropped. I mean, to me, those... those those create a buzz which is equivalent to some of the other big crowds. And not only that, but the fact that he actually reached out to you because he could have remembered or the, the penny could have dropped for him, but that doesn't mean necessarily he's going to reach out to you and tell you. Yeah, and he could have forgotten it was me. I mean, it, it could be like, you know, like sometimes the penny drops and you're like, oh, I remember like some guy sometimes somewhere saying this. Because even I think about like my education, I know that it's easier for me to remember people that I didn't like, like the teachers that didn't like, you know, top of the mind, like, oh, this teacher, that teacher, they were this, they, they, they told me I couldn't do this. But sometimes, like the teachers who are actually quite good or kind, like it takes you a little bit longer to remember their names. I don't know why. Unless people are really, really kind or they really make an impact. So I learned something about that in business as well. Like, you know, if you if you wind people up or if you upset people, yeah, they don't forget that. Uh, if you're kind to people, the kindness often gets forgotten. But you really, really, really have to go the extra mile uh, to, to be memorable in a positive way. And that's something that I've, I've tried to work on getting better at doing. Yeah, and I review a lot of people that I've met and a lot of experiences I've had in my life. And you, you do remember the kind people. They are the ones that come out the top of the pile. I want to talk about purpose in your life as a man, uh, Jonathan, because you've been through so many incredible experiences you know, playing in rock bands, rugby player, professor, playing to huge crowds at, at Glastonbury. That excitement. What if you're a listener of this episode who doesn't have the opportunity to play to 50,000, 75,000 people? How do you create that excitement in your life? How do you have that purpose as a man that constantly fuels everything that you do? I would say, you know, look at people you admire and think about why you admire them. And talk to your mates and say, if I wasn't in the room, how would you describe me? And, and take in all of that information and then just sit on that information and think like, okay, what what is the world telling me? And then think about where do you want to position yourself? And, and so for me, I realized that there's a lot of me which is kind of, I like balance in my life. And so there are sides of me that, that yeah, loud music, smashing people on a rugby field, like, you know, like, like really kind of intense moments, like, you know, learning Japanese samurai sword, all that stuff. Like, I suppose people would think that that, that would make me like a really kind of butch macho guy that lives off T-bone steaks. Uh, you know, like, his testosterone's through the roof 1200 yeah you know can't control his temper but actually that intensity smooths me out like like there's a lot of people that know me that know that like you know i've got clothes with flowers on them i've got like 
I've got like a pink sweater with like, you know, hummingbirds and flowers on it. And I, I iron all my own clothes. I, I can cook. I'm fully domesticated. Um, even one of my work colleagues was asking me about fashion tips and I was sending a like links. So I was like, oh, this outfit would really suit you. And, you know, it was like, and people were questioning what, what my, what my preferences were and stuff like that. And I kind of enjoy that to me, that's the excitement as well, which is like kind of proving people wrong and, and just messing with people's heads. And I think uh, being a man for me means trying to be a balanced person who is the full, complete picture. I, I love being the brute who tests out his physical strength and might and power. But I also love testing out my brain and, and also testing out my compassion and sensitivity and, and having that, that full picture together. You have that opportunity to really do something that's mundane and there's beauty in that mundane, but to actually be present for that period because people go, oh, I don't really want to cook or I don't want to clean the bathroom floor, get that mold off. But actually there's a lot there that gives you that time. So if it takes you an hour or two hours to do something like that, you've got all that thinking time that we take for granted. You might not have that opportunity to do that thinking in the, in your normal week, in your your week working in an office job or or whatever it is that you do. Yeah, and I think that's my way of, of making that chore not seem so like boring. I, I like to kind of multitask because if I just felt like, oh, what did I do today? I cleaned some mold off a wall. I feel like it was like, I would feel it was a waste of a day or waste of a few hours. But if I kind of like paired it with, I got to sort out some things that would just been bothering me in my head. So it might be cleaning mold, plus a pair of headphones, listening to some music and thinking and let my mind wander about like, what am I doing in my life? Afterwards, I'd feel good. And if it isn't listening to music, then, you know, even sometimes, um, you know, if you, you know, sometimes you've got mates that you can just talk to on the phone about stuff. And I don't even mean like the things that are bothering you, but but I think also I, I get stimulated quite nicely by, by other things. So you could be on the phone to your mate with your headphones on, cleaning the mold. And those things together, that kind of m talking about mundane stuff like, okay, so like, you know, what do you do like when, when it comes to mold on your bathroom wall and they're talking and then you end up on some random thing talking about, are you going to the cinema? Nothing that's going to sort the world out but there's something quite beautiful about indirectly, it might just start to unravel certain problems or something will reveal itself that otherwise wasn't there. I know that like, you know, therapists talk about, I mean, there's always that joke. They always say, tell me about your childhood or tell me about your, your parents or when you went to school. And when they ask that question at the time, most people think like, what's that got to do with the problem that I'm presenting in front of you? And maybe several weeks later, someone goes, ah, oh, okay, it kind of is. And I've forgotten about this moment. So I think often like problem solving is about unraveling things that are not entirely apparent to you at the moment when you're trying to solve that problem. And even sometimes it takes time for your brain just to kind of unpick those problems. And that could be when you're awake, could be when you're asleep. But, but yeah, you do need that kind of space. Jonathan has had a really eclectic and varied life. And in evidence to this, we were going through so many stories that he had before we started recording, it was actually really difficult to nail one down. Maybe this varied life is down to the fact that he's always willing to ask the question, 
even when the outcome seems improbable. Ask yourself, would you have seen that advert in NME of your favorite band looking for a new bass player and done the same thing as Jonathan? I know I certainly wouldn't have done, it would have shipped me up too much, to be honest. And returning to my point earlier about George Bernard Shaw, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world, the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself, therefore all progress depends upon the unreasonable man. I read that quote years ago and it always brings out that non-conformist side of me that wants to go ahead and do what everyone expects you not to do. Jonathan really embodies this quote and he's defied convention and the thoughts of others throughout his life. What's the one thing in your life that you could be doing but you've put barriers up as to why you can't do it? That promotion you've wanted, that business you've always wanted to start, that once in a lifetime trip. Whilst we were doing the episode, it reminded me of this viral clip that I saw a few years ago. It happened at Glastonbury and it's this kid called Alex. He must be about 15, 16, he was wearing a bucket hat and he went up on stage to the rapper Dave to perform a song called Tiago Silva. Now it's not really my kind of music, but I just absolutely love that whole scene and this sort of wondering what's going to happen next. Anyone who's listening who's actually seen that clip will have thought, well, this kid's gonna be shit, isn't he? And he actually gets up, he exudes confidence, and he knows every single word, every single lyric. And this story was really similar. Although unfortunately, Jonathan didn't get his chance on stage. He didn't allow negative thoughts to override his enthusiasm for wanting to get on the stage though. Because I think the majority of people watching who may have had the opportunity to get on stage like Alex did, or potentially Jonathan, if his dreams had come true, would have had these self-defeating thoughts that I'm not good enough, I can't do this, I can't do that. So I've got a question for you. What could you learn from Jonathan's approach to applying to be a bass player or whatever it is that you wanted to do? You know, really that thing that you've always desired. Of the eight different types of men out there, Jonathan showed himself to be the archetypal dreamer to absolutely go for whatever he wants. He spent a lot of time thinking about and planning for things to happen with Alice in Chains, which seemed impossible to others. But my question is, which type of man are you? Take the man test to find out. It takes less than three minutes to complete and you'll learn a lot about who you really are. The link is in the show notes. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships, often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends or co-workers, the man quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable and dependable in all your relationships. Find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.